I'm Tom Hall. This is Midday. The When Dating Hurts podcast is sponsored by Nom Nom. I'm a big advocate for better food for pets. When they eat healthier, they live healthier. And Nom Nom's food for dogs is full of fresh proteins a dog loves and the vitamins and nutrients they need to thrive. Nom Nom meals are pre-portioned for your dog's exact caloric needs. So, it's the easiest way to take the guesswork out of feeding your dog the best. Just tell them about your pup, age, breed, weight, allergies, and protein preferences. Get fresh, pre-packaged, totally nutritious meals delivered directly to your door for even less. Order Nom Nom today. Go to trynom.com slash when dating hurts and get 50% off your first order, plus free shipping. And Nom Nom comes with a money-back guarantee. That means if your dog doesn't love each meal, Nom Nom will refund your first order. Nom Nom is real good food for your dog. Head to trynom.com slash when dating hurts. Today on Midday, a conversation about an often overlooked consequence of the COVID-19 pandemic, intimate partner violence. Since Bill Mitchell's daughter, Kristen, was murdered by her boyfriend 16 years ago, he has been a passionate advocate for survivors of domestic violence. He's the author of a book and the host of a podcast called When Dating Hurts. And welcome back. It's Midday. I'm Tom Hall. My next guest is Bill Mitchell. He lives in Ellicott City, and for the past 16 years, he has been a passionate advocate for victims of domestic violence. He's the host of a podcast and the author of a book called When Dating Hurts, What We Learned About Dating Violence After Our Daughter's Tragic Death. Bill Mitchell joins us from Ellicott City. Mr. Mitchell, welcome to the program. Yes, thanks for uh, giving me this opportunity to talk about this very important subject. And listeners, if you have a question or a comment for Mr. Mitchell, 410-662-8780 or email midday at WIPR.org, our Twitter handle at Midday WIPR. So, Mr. Mitchell, tell us about your daughter, Kristen. Kristen was uh, very smart, very creative. She liked to write. She liked to write both poetry and prose and and was just uh, just a fun fun person, really. You know, it's we had a great sense of humor, it was very bright. Uh, went to college on a, a partial scholarship to in Philadelphia, St. Joseph's University. And uh, she did her four years. And, and uh, in her last year, she interviewed with General Mills and won a job, the job everybody in the food marketing area at St. Joseph's wanted. She won the job. And so she graduated in May 14th of 2005 and had been dating a guy most of that year who had been a lot of problems for her, a lot of control issues, things like that. And we didn't know a whole heck of a lot about that part about it until later, but but he was very difficult for her and, and she didn't see any big future with him. So she graduated in May of 2005. And unfortunately, 20 days after she graduated, he uh, murdered her in her apartment when she was trying to break up with him. So yeah, that's... Uh, so, you know, here you go to a graduation and, and 20 days later, you get a call from detectives telling you the you're in for a parent's worst nightmare, just like that. Yeah, it is a parent's worst nightmare. And uh, our hearts go out to you and your wife and your son. You have been speaking to groups around the country, hosting a podcast. You've written a book and you talk about 
the warning signs, uh, signs that perhaps you weren't aware of or even Kristen wasn't aware of. But what are some of the warning signs? What are some of the things that you advise people to be on the lookout for when it comes to, to dating violence? So the thing is that the warning signs are really very easy to understand because they all fit under one large umbrella, which is power and control techniques of one person trying very hard to dominate another person. That's really what it's about. So it's this controlling or dominant behavior. That's somebody who is extremely jealous about that other person's time and whoever they're spending their time with. I mean, that could be their, you know, if if it's a guy who is the abuser in this case, and he's dating a, a woman, it's somebody who's jealous of her spending time with her, with her girlfriends or any other guy. And for that matter, even family members, but it's like this crazy possessiveness and it can lead into other areas. It's one of the key things is isolating. Therefore isolating that person from their friends. You know, it's like, Oh, you don't want to hang out with them. You know, let's, let's you and I do stuff, which in the very beginning sounds very attractive. It's like, wow, this guy really likes me, but you come to find out that it's more than that. It's this guy likes you, but he he also wants to dominate you. He wants to control and own you. So they fit under that and and you just use your imagination. And it's also just to finish this out, could be somebody who who wants to know way too much about you. You know, somebody who when you're not in the room picks up your cell phone and sees who your text messages are from or goes on your computer when you don't know it and is looking around and snooping around and things. So it's really like a big takeover. You know, it's like conquering you and owning you and then eventually telling you what you should wear, how you should look, who you should hang out with, which is practically nobody. Those are the warning signs that shout out. And what makes it so hard is that people who are being abused or people who are having this happen to them don't really get it oftentimes until it's much deeper into the relationship. Their friends might see it. Their parents might see it. Others might say, wow, you know, this is strange. You know, she isn't like she used to be. You know, she's dating this guy. She's not the way she used to be. And but the person who's having it happen usually doesn't catch on because it's it's insidious because it happens little by little. But that's really kind of wraps it up. We want to explore it thoroughly. Bill Mitchell is my guest. He is the author of When Dating Hurts, What We Learned About Dating Violence After Our Daughter's Tragic Death. And you write in the book that that there's a template that every abuser follows this template that you've just outlined for us. So so this is, to a certain extent, predictable, noticeable, uh, and identifiable. And I think that's a, a big part of your message. I mean, people do need to be on the lookout for this, not just you know people themselves who are in these relationships, but their families, their friends. There are things that you can you can proactively keep an eye out for, right? What happens is that most of us, so many of us, don't really have our our minds wrapped around what dating violence is. And dating violence is really domestic violence, but with two people who are not married. It's as simple as that. It's domestic violence. And so what happens is that people who do this to other people, they become practiced at it. They don't get good at first, but they become practiced at it. And the template you refer to which I mention in my book in, in the back section after I tell the story of what happened with my daughter and, and what our family's been through, this journey we've been through for 16 and a half years. 
but the template really comes down to just several points. It starts out with storybook romance. This guy is wonderful or whoever you're dating is wonderful, does things maybe other people didn't do, takes you to places, spends money on you. But somebody who you think, wow, this, this person's sweeping me off my feet. And then it's followed by isolation. And you don't get it at first, but this person is trying to cut you out of the world that you used to be in. And this is all part of taking over. Again, it happens slowly. You don't really notice it. And then the next part are typically, if this person doesn't get, in this case, his way, then we start moving into threats of violence. This person shows you that if you don't comply, if you don't come along, you don't do what he wants, that, wow, this guy got kind of loud or this guy slammed something around me or uh, you know, pushed my dog or cat away or, you know, did something that you think, boy, you know, there's, so maybe you don't quite get, but there's a punishment. It's all about punishments and rewards. So if things are going great, great, more good things happen. If things aren't going well, then it's kind of threatening. Oftentimes it leads into actual violence. And then that's followed up by somebody giving you this convincing apology. You know, somebody that says, oh, you know, look, I had a horrible day at work today. That never happened to me before. I don't know why I did that. I, I'm so sorry. And then it goes back to storybook romance, the final step, meaning like, look, let's do this. Let's go out to Ruth Chris and get a steak or let's go to that place you like. Let's listen to music. Let's go away for the weekend. And it keeps coming. More isolation, more threats, more violence, more apologies. There are people who have done this for 30 or 40 years who have, you know, people who date, they get married and it keeps coming. It's we awful. have an email. We, it is awful. We have an email from a listener, Charlotte, who says, um, please expand on emotional abuse, the destruction of confidence and assertiveness and signs of how that can escalate. Do you have a sense sure. now looking back that, that your daughter uh, was, was grappling with that? Yes. You know, we, we met some of her friends after she was gone who opened up to us about what they were feeling and, and they didn't like the guy at all. But to the point that the, uh, your emailer just sent in is that oftentimes an abuser will do his or her, depending on who it is, do his or her best to undermine that person's confidence. You know, it's like always pointing out, you know, you didn't do this right. You didn't do that right. There's a better way to do that. It's kind of under the heading of something called gaslighting, which I also cover, but it's just about, it's all part of the takeover. And you, and you know this from people in your life who who put you down at times or make fun of you or, you know, you want to lose weight or why do you wear those clothes? Kind of puts you on your heels. And that's all part of controlling you is to make you feel you're a, you are subservient to that other person and mentally, physically, emotionally, those type of things. So that's all that's abuse. And it uh, prevents you from being the you you used to be before you knew that person. People don't do this on the first date. It takes a while. Yeah. I mean, this this does evolve over time. And that's one of the things I think right. that perhaps yes. makes it so difficult to identify. You know, you, you exactly. have to sort of take a look at it from the 30,000 foot vantage point. Uh, and when it comes to power and control and manipulation, it's not always, <clears throat> excuse me, readily apparent by any means. I wonder when you when you speak to high school kids, for example, or college kids, what what's the um the resistance that they might offer up to you initially because there are people uh, i can imagine uh, young people particularly folks who aren't all that experienced in dating 
who would say, oh, well, that would never happen to me. I would never let anybody do that to me. You know, what, what are you finding the, the pressure points are when you have these talks? Uh, are there things that you have to be particularly conscious of uh, being convincing to your, to your young audiences? Yeah, you point out a lot of things I've faced. There's no doubt about it when I've spoken before high school kids, specifically college kids are much more accepting of wanting to know what it is. They can identify maybe better because they've seen it. They've had, they've experienced it. They've seen a, a friend have it happen. You know, oftentimes if you get a ninth or 10th grader, it's a pretty uphill climb to do a speech in front of a group like that because dating's for a lot of them are still fairly new and they can't imagine what you're talking about. And it's, you know, they, they don't quite get there. But those who do, you know, they they want to hear it. They want to know, you know, they have probably seen this happen or they felt these type of things. I've had people come up to me before and after speeches who are high school kids who've said, you know, I didn't really know I was being abused. I didn't know I was in an unhealthy relationship until I heard your talk. I just thought the relationship was difficult or he was acting awful or he was just sort of pushing me around. You know, I thought, and then some of them think that's just what dating is. That's what guys do. So until you get up and say, you know, this is not right. This is not the way it's supposed to be. You know, these people are being controlled by fear, by the person they're supposed to be in love with or dating or whatever they think it is. And once they're away from it, they have some objectivity. Yeah. I mean, the thing is, if that's all you know, then that's all you know. You know, and if you have nothing to work with, then you think, yeah. I guess that's the way uh, dating goes. You know, it has its, it has its good days and bad days. Yeah, well, we certainly all appreciate your bringing this to light. Bill Mitchell, he is the author of When Dating Hurts, What We Learned About Dating Violence After Our Daughter's Tragic Death. He also has a website, a newsletter, and a podcast of the same name. Mr. Mitchell, our condolences to your family, and thank you for this work and for your time today. Yes, thank you for this opportunity to talk with you. It's been good use of time. Thank you. Good for us as well. And ladies and gentlemen, if you or someone you know needs help, the National Domestic Violence Hotline is 1-800-799-SAFE, S-A-F-E. I'm Tom Hall. Thanks so much for being with us. Have a great day. You're listening to your NPR News Station. Member supported 88.1 WYPR. The When Dating Hurts podcast is supported by BlendJet. Big, bulky blenders are a real pain to use. But the BlendJet 2 blender makes blending a snap. I'm using mine several times a day. Convenience is the reason why. The BlendJet 2 is portable, so you can blend up a smoothie at work, a protein shake at the gym, or even a margarita on the beach. It can fit into your cup holder, but powerful enough to blast through tough ingredients like ice, and frozen fruit with ease. And BlendJet 2 is whisper quiet, so you can make your morning smoothie without waking up the whole house. BlendJet lasts for 15 or more blends and recharges quickly via USB-C. Best of all, BlendJet 2 cleans itself. Just blend water with a drop of soap, and you're good to go. With over 30-plus colors and patterns to choose from, there's a BlendJet 2 to complement any style. Blend anytime, anywhere with the BlendJet 2 Portable Blender. Seriously, what are you waiting for? No other blender on the market comes close to the quality, power, and innovation of the BlendJet 2. They guarantee you'll love it or your money back. Shop today and get the best deal ever. Head to BlendJet.com and use the promo code WHENDATINGHURTS12 
for your 12% off your order and free two-day shipping. That's Blendjet.